Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's the Spain and Fitz podcast. I'm Jason Fitz. No Sarah Spain. She's out doing great things uh, with the Women's Summit, uh, something that ESPN does every year that I I think Sarah not only is really proud of, but any of us that are around the organization are really proud of. It's an opportunity for the women that work with the company to speak to other women in sports about sort of how they can help each other and and what can be done better and some of the challenges they all face. Really proud for Sarah to be a part of that. That means she's not a part of this tonight. She will be back tomorrow, of course. But in the meantime, I wanted to get you a little pre-party fun, a little extra action, a little bonus content as we like to do on this podcast. If this is the first time you've ever hung out, this is why you should rate, review, and subscribe only rate if you like it though uh in the meantime we got in we're going to get into a lot uh, into tonight's show but i wanted to talk about the nfl matchup that's going to create too much hype now let's be real in 2020 if there's anything that we've realized it's that everybody's looking for a reason to overreact to every outcome but it feels like even more so than ever the nfl has become much like college football incredibly unpredictable and a week-to-week league you hear that anytime any given sunday but we don't really believe that's true until this year And this is what's interesting to me, because how do you resist the temptation to hop all over a reaction from one game to the next? As I've said on radio this week on Spain and Fitz, there's an element of me that gets frustrated by the fact that we decided that Tom Brady was washed and had no idea how to play football anymore because he didn't know what down it was. And then just a few days later, Tampa Bay beats Green Bay, and it's like, see, this is why they're the best team in the NFC, and they're headed straight to the Super Bowl. You can't stop Tom. And then on the flip side of it, you got Aaron Rodgers sitting there putting up video game numbers has everybody elated and then just a few days later they get beaten it's like see told you green bay wasn't that good we got to resist it that being said there's one game this sunday that's going to be impossible to resist that with and it's the titans taking on the steelers don't laugh don't use my nashville history here against me i'm serious you're talking about two teams that are undefeated. You're talking about two teams that have a bunch of question marks. And and let's be real. I mean, people have looked for reasons, myself included, to, to doubt the Titans early on in the season. Thought they should have looked better as a team. They didn't play particularly crisp football, but they found ways to win. So who am I to fault it, right? Well, with the Steelers, they come out guns blazing, but then everybody's like, oh, but look at the strength of opponent. They haven't played anybody. This is that moment where whatever the apology is that people have made to doubt a winner you won't be able to make in this game. You won't be able to turn around and find fault with success, one of these strange things that happens in sports fandom. You won't be able to turn around and use it as a qualifier for why greatness isn't being accomplished. And that is why the hype machine on Monday morning is going to go through the roof. See, we found at least a small crack in the armor. I don't believe that it's crack. It's more a dent, a scratch for the Kansas City Chiefs. And it came by the hands of my beloved Raiders. People want to make that a big deal. It isn't. The Chiefs, to me, are still the best team in the AFC, and it's clear. The Ravens are still incredibly good and maybe the second-best team. But maybe the Steelers could fight them for that, right? So I'm trying to be reasonable and take all of it as a large body of evidence, right? Maybe if the Titans go out and they just thump the Steelers, I have to rethink the way I look at Tennessee. I'm willing to admit that. But when you start thinking about what's going to happen from this one particular game— Part of it is because they're undefeated. Part of it is because the strengths that we've seen from these teams. And part of it is because we are desperately looking for great content. Let's be real. I mean, if we all just come in and say, hey, guys, guess what? Kansas City's going to the Super Bowl and they're going to win it all. It gets to be a very boring NFL season. Just ask the NBA. As much as they loved the hype for L.A. versus L.A. before the season started, even throughout the season when it came time for the bubble and everything felt so predictable in so many ways, people sort of tuned out, right? 
So for us, we want to find uh, any, and by us, I mean media and NFL fans, so many people, we want to find some reason to keep things compelling and interesting. So we convince ourselves that the logic is there. Now, the Steelers have the ability to be incredibly multiple on offense. And I, I'm, I'm going to bring that into the world. I believe that we've taken multiple in defense, but we don't apply it enough to offenses. The Steelers have a banged-up offensive line, but let's uh, look at the other side of it. I mean, James Conner has obviously turned out to be a great running back for them. Uh, Big Ben is back, and while the numbers aren't video game-like, as I always say, they're, they're, they're incredibly efficient. He's getting a ton out of a wide receiver core that we didn't know exactly what to expect anything from. So Mapletron, as he may not like, but everybody seems to like, and Claypool uh, it has been a pleasant surprise early in the season to the point that we're not even talking about the fact that Juju Smith-Schuster may or may not be uh, the number one wide receiver that the Steelers hope. So you can look across the board for the Steelers and say, hey, you know what we've got? Uh, we've got explosiveness and the ability to cram the ball down your throat or to throw the ball with Big Ben if we want. Well, that's when the Titans come in and loudly say, hold my beer. Right, because we think about Derrick Henry, and uh, immediately we want to react to the massive yardage and the huge part of the offense. In fact, our great stats and info team uh, put together some numbers on Derrick Henry against a loaded box. And let me just tell defensive coordinators now, study the metrics, loading up the box ain't going to help you. You're still going to get beat. Part of the reason that happens, though, is because Tannehill has turned out to be a better quarterback than anybody wanted him to be after he left Miami. The stink of Adam Gase may have finally worn off, and suddenly Tannehill comes in and, and looks like he knows exactly where he wants to go with the ball. He does it with a level of confidence and swagger that's just perfect for the Tennessee team. Oh, and by the way, they've got wide receivers that are good, that are big-bodied, that have a ton of speed. I mean, Brown's ability to get himself open is just beautiful to watch, right? So the Titans are turning around saying, hey, we can be multiple too on offense. The problem for the Titans in this particular matchup is the matchup. See, you got to start looking at pressure. And defense isn't something many teams in the NFL or college football, frankly, are playing right now. But it is something that the Steelers are doing. And their pass rush numbers have been incredible. In fact, they lead the league in sacks. But remember, they faced far less in passing attempts than any of their opponents. People know you can't throw on the Steelers without getting sacks, so they're throwing less, and the defensive line is still getting there. That's why the injury of Taylor Littlewan is so significant in this game. Because the Titans don't have a ton of depth on the offensive line. And that lack of depth, when you're facing a defensive line that can get after you, a defensive line that is going to absolutely do whatever it takes, oh, man, that's going to be difficult for the Titans to overcome. The other thing that the Steelers have in this matchup is Mike Tomlin. Now, I think a lot of Mike Vrabel. I think Vrabel has the opportunity to continue to sort of capture America. He makes the Titans relevant because he's got the personality. He's got that thing that people want to watch, the it factor. A lot of people in Bristol rooting for him anyway, right? We see that all the time. But then you hear the little rumors of, of clock manipulation and just these, these great little moments of Vrabel year in and year out where he comes in and sort of trolls the coaches he's up against. It all fits. Everybody loves to watch it. I love Mike Vrabel. But Mike Tomlin? is established, and Mike Tomlin has shown you he's willing to do whatever it takes to shut down your strength. That sounds simple, but that's something that we take for granted. Uh, look at week one, when the Giants, who at the time we thought might actually have a shot at being okay, still had Saquon Barkley. Mike Tomlin said afterwards, hey, we were willing to do anything to shut down Saquon, even if it meant exposing our secondary, because we knew where their game plan was going to come from. I don't think this game is any different. I think Tomlin's going to key in on this. I think Tomlin's going to look at it and say, hey, we've got to find creative ways to stop to stop either the run or the pass. Well, let them beat us one way, but we won't let them beat us both. That's why I think the Steelers are going to win this matchup. But either way, when this matchup is done, 
when it's all decided, whether it's a close game or whether somebody thumps somebody else, it's going to become the overreaction game. Because right now, what we're desperate for is competitiveness. I'll go back to the college football landscape. Look at how dominant Clemson has been. Alabama's had some cracks in the armor defensively, particularly. We've talked about that. But those are the only two teams that seem to have any chance at being excellent. And as a result, people sort of roll their eyes. That's why we're desperate for Ohio State to come back and kick butt. Because if Ohio State can kick butt, then suddenly we're looking at it saying, hey, there is something to watch here. It can be different. It can be unpredictable. While the NFL Sunday season has given us unpredictability one week to the next, has it really given us unpredictability when it comes to who you'd be comfortable betting your house on to win it all? No. And until it does, until we can see a viable threat to the Chiefs that we think, hey, this team is better than the Chiefs, until we can see that, I think everybody's just going to be desperately looking for it because what we all want is the reassurance that not only will we continue to have football throughout the course of the year, but we'll continue to have competitive, meaningful, unpredictable football through the course of the year. I'm Jason Fitz. We're just getting started on the podcast. That's my pre-party. I want to get a little bit of football analysis in there. I know it's a World Series. I know we got a bunch going on. That's why you got to stick around and hear all the thoughts from Spain and Fitz. Again, if you're just tuning in for the first time, make sure you take a second, rate, review, subscribe. Join us all the time for exclusive content you can only get on the podcast. And tell your friends, family, enemies, and everybody else to tune in every single day. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians joins us. Coach, thanks so much for your time. Uh, Congratulations. Part of the reason that you're on here with us is because the Women's Sports Foundation in 2020 uh, has decided to honor you uh, with uh, their award as a champion for equality, which is an incredible, incredible moment. Now, Coach, uh, I usually co-host this show with Sarah Spain, and like I said in the beginning, Sarah tonight is doing great work with the Women's Summit for ESPN, but she wanted to be a part of this interview, so she's got a question for you that she taped i want you to hear it now hey coach it's sarah spain i am super bummed not to be there but i managed to weasel my way in here to get a question in anyway um i'm i so admire your willingness to hire women and and the groundbreaking hire of jen welter back with the cardinals uh friend of the show Lori locust and the hires that you've made with the bucks uh it's a multi-part question first i'm just curious how you think they've improved your staff and your team the women that you have on your coaching staff and also why do you think that there are other coaches that maybe aren't as open to the idea of hiring qualified female coaches thanks for coming on coach you bet um they're doing a great job i mean they're they're they've added they're both great teachers uh low with the defensive line and obviously morale in the weight room uh, she's just an amazing body mechanic expert and uh our guys gravitate to her and they've, they're both excellent teachers. Our guys love them, um, and they've, they've got great futures. And uh, why other? I think other people are starting to listen, and uh, I hope that uh, more do. You know, Coach, I find it interesting because uh, having friends that play in the WNBA, one thing that I've learned is that game gets game. They always say the players don't care if it's a man or a woman, if they can help. Uh, what has the mentality been from your experience in NFL locker rooms from the players that are being asked to be led by women? I think it's the same thing. If you can help me get better, I'm all ears. And uh, both both of them are outstanding, uh, overqualified, and uh, and they're helping our guys get better and uh, just doing a fantastic job. Have other coaches around the league reached out to talk to you about sort of what, what seems like, for some, it could be a sensitive issue of bringing more women into the locker room? Yeah, a couple have. And uh, so far, you know, a couple of teams have added uh, some some female coaches, and uh, I just hope more and more do. 
We're talking to Buccaneers head coach Bruce Arians. And, Coach, we really appreciate your time. Obviously, this is a very big week. Uh, Every week is during this season. But the breaking news today has been that COVID-19 seems to be impacting the Raiders. That's your opponent for Sunday night football. So uh, what's the latest that you've heard from the league on the game itself? Uh, We really haven't heard anything yet. And uh, just waiting to see what what their protocols are going through out there. And uh, we're, we're going practicing every day like we're ready to go. So what's it like from a coach's standpoint when, I mean, you're used to dealing with so many variables, but, but COVID is a variable nobody can predict. So how does it sort of impact your week? It's crazy. I mean, it's been a wild year. Um, just got, really can't thank our guys enough for their commitment to each other and staying safe and following the protocols and uh, coming to work every day. We're talking to head coach Bruce Arians from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And, you know, obviously, coach, I think the entire world is is amazed that I haven't managed to get to a Brady question yet with you getting to hang out. So got to ask it. You've worked with a ton of great quarterbacks, obviously, but who has the bigger adjustment in this situation? Bruce Arians to Tom Brady or Tom Brady to Bruce Arians? I think it's probably 50-50. You know, we, we do a great job of collaborating. Uh, he came in and, and learned all our terminology and uh, did a great job with it and express some things that he likes to do offensively and we've we've meshed those into what we do so it's been a lot of fun what's the process like for you i mean having worked with great quarterbacks or how do you start that when you've got a new one in the room that you respect the greatness but you also want to bring your flavor to it yeah i mean it's a, when we first started talking about coming here tom, tom was you know yeah i'm all in on your offense you guys move the ball great and uh you know i'll learn it and uh and he's done a great job with it then you know, then you tell me what you like and how you process it, and, and we'll work with that also. So walk me through, like, the overreaction world that I live in, obviously, at ESPN. Like, I feel like we have to make everything a big deal. But from a coach's standpoint, when you look at 2020 with no offseason and the limitations you guys have dealt with and you're trying to get rhythm as a team, like, how do you judge things without being overreactionary week to week? Yeah, for us, defensively, I knew we'd, we'd, we'd get off to a good start. And uh, we had a lot of guys back. And, you know, offensively, it was going to take time. And it's still it's still taking time. Uh, so just a matter of week to week seeing who's available because we've had a bunch of injuries offensively. So just a matter of seeing who's available and uh, fitting them into the game plan. Well, that's one of the things that I think surprised a lot of us, Coach. Like, we expected early on in the season, we always hear defense is going to be ahead. But league-wide, it feels like defenses have sort of tried to gel. It hasn't necessarily been successful for every team. So why have so many teams struggled, in your mind, defensively to get going early on? I think the teams that brought back offensive players, quarterbacks and play callers, they had a a big leg up. And uh, they – I think a lot of it is new coaches and, and new systems. So I think we all miss spring practice and we all miss training camp, but uh, uh, just making the best we can. Well, the biggest reason we've got you on, Coach, is obviously the Women's Sports Foundation of 2020 giving you an incredible honor, and it's incredibly well-deserved, man. Like, we we talk about you a lot on this show. You wouldn't know it, but we talk about how uh, you're willing to hire anybody for any reason, and that's something I wish more of the world would do, man. Congrats to the honor that you're getting, and, and great work for what you're doing. Thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was a great, great honor. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Don't forget, you guys can subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. If you missed our interview today, Bruce Arians, it'll be there in the podcast. Good stuff about he and Tom Brady. You don't want to miss that. Obviously, you can subscribe there. Plus, we give you an exclusive content. I'm going to give you a deep dive into what I think is the game of the week 
on the exclusive content uh, in the NFL. So you don't want to miss that. Also, we've got news from Spain and Fitz Nation at Dickie V. Just hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed. We're famous for the Rays to win game two. Their bats must wake up slash the pressure on the Rays hur- hurlers is intense since they know they can't afford to allow any runs and survive. So that's Dickie V's uh, World Series take. I love it. We'll take famous World Series takes for 500, please, Alex. And in the meantime, we'll get to some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Straight Talk comes in the form of some big NFL news. Uh, if you haven't missed it, if you've or if you haven't seen it, miss the news today. Trent Brown, the starting right tackle for my beloved Raiders, has uh, landed on the COVID-19 list. And as a result, uh, and uh, in caution for contact tracing, that means the Raiders today sent their entire starting offensive line home. So that's a key uh, key moment here. The entire offensive line and Jonathan Abrams' safety all sent home. Now, they were all at practice on Monday, uh, but when they came in today to practice, they had an off day on Tuesday. They were at practice on Monday. When they came in today to practice uh, because of that uh, positive test, they were sent home. The frustrating thing about it is now what? We have no idea. Like, I don't know what it takes to cancel or postpone an NFL game. And shouldn't we? Shouldn't there be some idea of what this is? Because otherwise it feels like every single week the real question is going to be, how big a star power is it? What will it mean to the standings? I mean, you feed into conspiracy theories when you're not transparent. That's a fact. And Roger Goodell, through this entire process, continues to refuse to be transparent. When he's not transparent, it allows for a conversation to happen about COVID-19 and how real the way it's being handled is. Look on the college side. I mean, Nick Saban getting able, getting to coach for Alabama created a lot of controversy. Now, we told you on Spain and Fitz about a great article Ross Dellinger wrote from SportsIllustrated.com that, that outlined the change of procedures for the SEC and why it actually came from a woman soccer player that also had a false positive. And as a result, they quietly, and that's a key word, the SEC voted on and quietly changed the policy about nine days before the Saban incident. So there was real rhyme and reason to why it happened. But because they went in and quietly did uh, policy change, nobody knows it, nobody trusts it. So it creates this sort of monster of concept that has... Uh, you know, uh, that that has Nick Saban allowed to stand on the sideline. Well, the NFL is doing the same exact thing. I mean, we, we live in a world where multiple reports were saying that at one point the Patriots were going to decide on their own whether or not they were comfortable playing. What's the NFL going to do when they've got an entire starting offensive line that due to contact tracing may or may not be able to play the game? How are they going to handle that? Because you got to remember, the Raiders have no buys left. All right, so what you have now are, are teams that are they're done. They've gone through their bye week. And the NFL doesn't have a makeup plan schedule because why? They haven't been transparent about anything. So we don't even know what they'll do in this instance. We could know. They could have come out from the get-go. I've failed. I've, I've spoken many times on the failings of, I should say, Roger Goodell. And the fact that Roger Goodell could have come out from the get-go and allocated certain weeks with no football so that they had a, a safety net. The opportunity for wiggle room. They didn't do that. They could add weeks to the end of the season. They haven't done that. They've tried every single week to just sort of play uh, Russian roulette to see where we are. Now that works sometimes when you have the ability to move other things around, but I'm not sure what they're going to do for the Raiders if the Raiders are suddenly looking at the probability that they may not have their offensive line. Now, I do want to stress, we don't know at this point uh, how far the the contact tracing will go. We don't know the full scope of where the testing will be. What we know at this point 
is that because of the contact tracing and all of the Raiders that were sent home, uh, their entire offensive line will not be at the facility yet. We also know that Trent Brown has the one positive test. Now, that's important to note because he must stay away from the facility and he'll continue to have a series of tests now while they figure out whether or not that was a real or a false positive. But in the meantime, everybody else, as they await their tests, may or may not be allowed back. So now what? I mean, obviously teams can play without practicing. The Titans did it. The Patriots have done it. Nobody's going to cry. But an entire position group possibly being held out of the game, that's the scenario that's at least out there. And that is the worst-case scenario for the entire NFL. Because, again, you're not talking about bad teams, but even if you were, you'd be talking about draft standings. You're talking about teams that will have some say in the way the final playoffs are done. And you're talking about Sunday night football. I mean, you put all of that together, I mean, how much extra pressure, at least in perception, is there with the league to figure this out? Because, frankly, NBC doesn't want to lose Sunday night football. We're not stupid. There's a lot of money at stake for Sunday night football. Not like they can just flex a game this this late in the week. I mean, CBS wouldn't be at all okay with losing the Titans-Steelers game that the entire country is getting early on on Sunday to move it to Sunday night football. Be a great move. Should have been moved to Sunday Night Football, but be a great move, but it's too late. That's going to be the difficulty. But remember the most important part of it. Whatever difficulty the NFL is facing right now is the difficulty that they created. That's some straight talk. Straight talk, wireless, no contracts, no com- compromise. Also, Antonio Brown back in the news, uh, back in the news with the NFL particularly. It should be noted for anyone that doesn't know, his suspension is about to uh, end. His uh, He will be allowed after week eight to come back into the NFL. And that has created at least some conversation about who may or may not be interested in him. According to an Adam Schefter report, uh, it looks like the Seahawks are one of several teams that are at least looking around at Antonio Brown. Now, Pete Carroll has given his usual stock line that won't confirm or deny really any player acquisition, and that makes sense. There's no gain for him in saying anything at this point. If they are interested, they think other teams are interested, they don't want to drive up value. If they're not interested, they don't need to tell anybody else that because if people think they're interested, it drives up value for an opponent. So, any way you want to look at it, I don't expect an honest response from the Seahawks. Why would we? Uh, The question is, why is somebody going to be interested in Antonio Brown? So the most difficult part of this is that we can all agree that Antonio Brown, at least in perception, seems to struggle with some mental issues. He seems to be less than stable. The problem with anybody that's less than stable is you don't know what's going to make them unstable again. Now you can put people in place, systems in place. You can do everything you can. No different than if you have an addict on your team. You can put people in place. You can put systems in place. And you can hope that you can put everything there for support that will keep somebody on the straight and narrow. I mean, it's good for the player. It's good for the team. For Antonio Brown, though, if the issue seems to be that he's always on the edge of an epic mental breakdown, I don't know how you prevent that. I mean, you can't force somebody to to seek treatment. And even if you can uh, force them to seek treatment, you can't force that treatment to work. So if you're bringing in Antonio Brown, you're bringing in in Antonio Brown, uh, really, frankly, acknowledging from the get-go that you're bringing in somebody that may be difficult and you're bringing in somebody that you're really renting on a week-to-week basis. I mean, the most important thing to remember about player acquisition after week one is that no matter what their contract is for, it's technically a week-to-week contract. None of it's guaranteed. They can be cut after one week. So Antonio Brown, if he finds a home, will be every week essentially playing for his supper. Now, I want to see talented people have great opportunity. And I want to see people be able to clean up their lives. For everybody today that's going to spend time being negative about Antonio Brown, I will remind you, 
If it's a mental issue, then our first uh, foremost concern, concern should be mental health. And anytime that's a real conversation, my first concern is can somebody maintain mental health? That's the most important part of all of this. If Antonio can do that, if Antonio Brown can come in and really find a way to maintain his, uh, his stability through this, uh, sure, he can be incredible. He can be impactful. He can be an absolutely electric player. The question is how many locker rooms are willing to take that risk? In a normal year, I would say not many. In a COVID-19 year, in a year where rosters are constantly in flux, in a year where players may or may not have to miss time because of COVID-19 or because of any other issue that comes up along the way, I don't know. I mean, you start looking around at decimated locker rooms and you look around at injuries and you look around at offenses that need some explosive help. I wonder if Antonio Brown's going to get an opportunity. At the end of the day, I'll never fault somebody for getting an opportunity if they can do the important things that are necessary to make sure that their head's in the right space while they do it. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.